Amen. Hey, good morning, church family. So good to see all of you here in person. What a morning. Great energy. I love the testimonies our team shared. Love you sitting up front. You brought some energy to this room, so thank you for that. Grateful for all of you joining us online today. Uh, what a blessing that you wouldn't just come to watch, but to participate with us. I have a friend joining me this morning. Let me tell you just a few things about her. Uh, I joined the staff at a church in uh, summer of or August of 2001, and I've been on staff at the church ever since. I was hired on at the Highland Church in Abilene. Sarah and I were hired on to be the interim youth ministers as we were looking for youth ministers. We were in charge of the high school. Three weeks on that job, 9-11 happened. So here I was, a 21-year-old minister, Sarah, a 23-year-old minister, and we were tasked to help 150 or so high school students just process violence and anger and rage and where's God when things happen in the world. A few months after that, it was a church that went through the study of the role of women. So Sarah and I at a young age were tasked to come up with four lessons to teach high school students about this. Sarah and I worked together for about 10 months, and then we made a youth minister hire, and that youth minister was Jim Hinkle. So Sarah and I worked as Jim's interns for about four weeks, and Sarah would then go on to become Jim's co-youth minister, where she would remain a youth minister on, at that church for 15 years before transitioning into another role, and now she's been a stay-at-home mom the last few years, even though ministry continues in a lot of different ways. That year, Sarah and myself, Casey and I became engaged. Sarah became engaged to Kevin. We got married within a few months of each other, and these are two of our closest friends in the world. Sarah uh, has a heart for service, so I knew this was a day where our teens were celebrating service, and we were going to hear testimonies from them. It's the end of the summer and a sermon series I'm doing right now, which ends with me wanting to talk about the principle of service, so I invited Sarah to come and join me. Now, Sarah... Uh, back in 2020, right when COVID shut everything down, was diagnosed with cancer, a very aggressive form of cancer. And as COVID shut things down, it's hard when your loved ones, whether it's family or friends, are nine hours away and you're unable to travel to see them. So we would spend time on FaceTime and I think they were reaching out to us for emotional support and Casey and I would just cry our way through like the, the whole time we're on this screen together. Thankfully, Sarah today is a cancer survivor. She has become a great support for my mom as my mother continues to battle cancer, which my mom will be on some form of a chemo pill, non-terminal stage four for the rest of her life. And now as Casey's mom is also battling cancer, there are these cancer survivors and cancer warriors who surround each other with great encouragement, and Sarah is right in the middle of all of that. Is it become a ministry for her? So Sycamore View in Memphis, will you give my friend Sarah a Sycamore View Memphis welcome as she joins me this morning? I'm so glad you're here. Hey, Sarah, since you were a youth minister for over 15 years and you've had a heart, you even worked for uh, camp, Sarah, at ACU before that. Our teens are right over here. You listened to a few testimonies, so just putting you on the spot today, what is a blessing you would give them at the end of the summer, some word of encouragement? I just want to encourage you to continue to say yes. Say yes to the new, to the uncomfortable, to the hard things in this life. Continue to love people and to see people as Jesus sees them and continue to inspire both us older generations and the younger generations to serve without abandon. Thank you for being a Jesus. We see him in you, so. Amen, yep. Uh, so church, I've been in a series, we've been in a series called Coreology, talking about just the core of our faith. And this hasn't been a seven week series on politics. 
It's been a week that we've been talking about biblical principles that guide us because the question of being Christian witness, like to love Jesus means you become a witness in the world. So this isn't, do we engage the world or do we engage culture? It's as we do, there are some things we need in place. So we've talked about just some biblical principles rooted in the life of Jesus that you can witness that keeps us rooted. So I've laid those principles in front of you over the last few weeks. And the last one is this, is for us to commit our lives to service. Not just as something we do once, uh, once a year around Thanksgiving, but what does it mean for us to embody a principle of service? So this morning, will you open your Bibles to John chapter 13? Sarah's going to read that, and then this is where, what we're going to talk about with you this morning. All right, John 13, 1 through 15, it says, It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave his world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had to put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, do you not realize now what I am doing? But later you will understand. No, Peter says, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. Well then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he had not, he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, rightfully so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should wash one another's feet. I will set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. So like Josh said, um, three years ago when COVID was literally hitting the United States and things were shutting down, it was our first day of online school in our home. Um, at about mm, five o'clock that evening, I got a call that I had cancer. And it began a medical journey that included chemotherapy, the loss of my hair, and multiple surgeries, all in hopes of saving my life. I remember finishing chemo and healing in a life-altering surgery, um, and I knew that death and I were in a fight. I had given death a lot of thought during this time. I had had several conversations with our three young boys and wanted some things to be in place just in case things didn't go as the doctors had planned. I had written out my funeral, I had made several videos to loved ones, and I wrote a letter, a letter to our son's godparents, two of which are in this room and one who's sitting right next to me. So I'm gonna read you that letter this morning. Dear godparents, hey there, I wanna begin by saying thank you 
Thank you for pouring into me and into the lives of my boys. As you know, or at least I hope you do, you have played an important role in my life and in the life of our family. You have shown Jesus in big ways and in small ones. You have loved us well. We chose you to be a part of our boys' journey for life, mainly because of the ways you have encouraged us, loved us, and challenged us to be better. We realize that this will look different over the years. Sometimes it'll be up close and personal, journeying, and sometimes it'll be from afar, praying. Whatever the season brings, thank you for pouring into their lives. Now, if you're reading this, I've gone to be with Jesus. My boys will need you now more than ever, all four of them. It's my prayer that you will fight for my boys' faith, that you will introduce them to the side of Jesus where he sits the, with them in the trenches of death, the Jesus that was brave enough to enter death and overcome it. I want my boys to know it's okay to doubt. It's okay to ask tough questions, questions that don't need to be answered or that we may not have the answers for, that they can take all the time they need to process through this, that Jesus can handle whatever they need to throw at the Him. Their doubts, their sadness, their brokenness, or anger, He knows how they feel. So please do what you're good at. Walk with them, be real, and direct them to what we hold to be true, that the grave is empty, and that changes everything. Each of you are so good at the journeying thing. Thank you for pouring life and love into me and into my family. May the Lord continue to move and glorify you. Be glorified in your lives. All my love, Sarah. So my questions for you today to ponder are, if you were staring death in the face and knew you only had a few days to live, how would you choose to spend your time? What would you want to say those that you are closest to? And what would you want to be remembered for? Jesus, in his last days here on earth, he chose to spend time with the people that he had invested here on earth in the most and loved the most, and that was his disciples. <clears throat> How am I supposed to go after that? I've never seen, <laughs> I've never seen that letter. Should have worked out this transition a little better. Sorry. <laughs> but, uh, uh, and so the last week before Jesus dies, uh, he does set them an example, this life of service. So service is on Jesus' mind. And as Sarah read John 13 earlier, one of the last verses she read was that Jesus, he said, he told his disciples, one reason I'm doing this is I'm setting an example for you that you're supposed to live this kind of life everywhere you go. And early Christians believed it. So for them, it wasn't just a matter, like when it came to being a witness to the world, it wasn't just a matter of believing the right things. It was how they behaved in the world. It was how they acted. It wasn't just that they believed the right things about Christ. It's that they modeled a life of Christ everywhere they went, and people who weren't even Christians began to see something different in them. There was a guy named Pliny the Younger. He worked for an emperor. He wasn't a Christian. And Pliny, Pliny the Younger, he was tasked by the emperor to like go incognito, like go hang out with these Christians, like be some spy, go undercover, and then I want you to report back to me. This is the emperor saying, I want you to report back to me of like why we need to arrest all these people. 
So can you imagine being tasked just a few decades after Jesus died, tasked like this? Like, I need you to go hang out with Christians and come back and tell me what it is we need to go and arrest them for. I want to read you just a couple of statements that come from Pliny. And this was him writing back to the emperor. He said this, the sum and substance of their fault, talking about Christians, or error had been that they were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and sing responsively a hymn to Christ as to God. Like that's, that's, it. that's what he's saying. These people, they meet once a week, they hang out, and they sing songs to Jesus. That's, like I'm trying to report back to you what I have found, and this is what they do. Like does that sound like an offense to you? And then he goes on to say this. They were accustomed to meet on a fixed day before dawn and to bind themselves by oath not to do crime, not to some crime, not to commit fraud or theft or adultery, not to falsify their trust, nor to refuse to return a trust when called upon to do so. So he notices in Christians a deep commitment to character and doing the right thing. This is a guy reporting back to the emperor of what he has found among Christians. He says, I judged it all the more necessary to find out what the truth was by torturing two female slaves who were called deaconesses. So now I don't know what this meant. I don't know if they played mercy. I don't know if this is waterboarding. He's torturing two deaconesses, two women, trying to get things out of them. And then he says, but I discovered nothing else but depraved excessive superstition. He's talking about baptism. He's talking about these people who meet and they take something called the bread and the cup, taking the flesh of Jesus and remind, remembering the blood of Christ. And he says, I therefore postponed the investigation and hastened to consult you, for the matter seemed to me to warrant consulting you, especially because of the number involved. So he's bearing witness to the emperor that because of the lives these people live, they're growing. Like there are a bunch of people coming to know Jesus. And then he says this, for many persons of every age, every rank, and also of both sexes are and will be endangered. For the contagion of this superstition has spread not only to the cities, but also to the villages and farms. This is a guy bearing witness to the emperor that as I hung out among these people, I didn't just hear what they believed, I saw what it is they believe. The actions were bearing witness and made it all the way to the emperor that Christians weren't just believing things about Christ, but as they believe, they're acting in the ways that look like Christ. So may... How we place in front of you memories of John chapter 13 and truth of John 13. May it capture your heart again this morning. So I want you to imagine with me the Last Supper. The location had been set. A meal was prepared and it was time to feast. And feast they did. I can only imagine the conversations that happened around that table. How close they felt passing beloved dishes from one person to the next how intimate the setting must have been, the words of blessing that were spoken during that meal, and the memories that were made, and the traditions that were created. Well, before the feast began, it was customary for one of the hosts to, of the meal to um, wash the feet of their guests. Now, the custom was a token of hospitality, and the host was not the one who performed this task. Oh, no. Some scholars even believe that it was um, not even Jewish servants that performed this task. Some believed that it was saved for Gentile servants, the lowliest of lows. Remember, back then there weren't tennis shoes or foot coverings or boots, so they were walking on um, dirt roads. There was no asphalt or 
um, sidewalks. There were dirt and sandals, and there were animals back then. There were donkeys in stories I remember reading about, and you know, that was on the road as well. So we're talking really dirty feet. So I want you to imagine with me a time that your feet had maybe been the dirtiest. Maybe this is a time that you played in the mud as a kid. My boys, there's a back part of our house. They love to fill it with mud, and they'll go take their toys and trucks and play in that mud. And I can remember as a kid or even as an adult going out with them and the mud squishing between your toes. Or maybe you didn't realize your feet were dirty until you stepped into your white shower and you looked down and you realized you had black footprints on your shower floor. Or for me, I'm weird, but maybe I'm not, but don't ask my family that. They will say I am. Josh and Casey will too, but I can't go to sleep with dirty feet. So if my feet are really dirty and grimy and I get in bed and I, I can't get comfortable, so I have to get up out of bed, go wash my feet and get back into bed. So the disciples and Jesus all have dirty feet. And back then they didn't have tables and chairs that they sat to eat around a table, they reclined. Now if you can imagine reclining with pillows, feet are in much closer proximity to your face than if you're sitting in a table and chair. So I imagine that the, the disciples were standing around and maybe wondering who was going to volunteer to wash feet. Or maybe they were worried that Jesus was going to ask them to do this. But surely he wouldn't. Surely it won't be me. Surely there's a servant somewhere around here or in the neighborhood that we could holler at and have come wash our feet. And what they saw, what happened next, they never saw coming. Jesus, he washed their feet. I bet that they were shocked and mortified. Their teacher, the one that they loved, that was just praised with hosannas and palm branches, the one who performed miracles, the one they had witnessed walk on water, calmed a storm, and much more, would not be the one performing this task. A task that was only saved for Gentile servants, the lowliest of lows. It was no surprise to me how Peter responded. He, he goes, he was flabbergasted, I feel like, asking questions and longing for more. Not just my feet, Lord, but all of me. In his last days, last moments on earth, Jesus chose to love instead of to be loved. He chose to wash his disciples' feet. In my mind, I was trying to grasp hold of what would this look like nowadays? We don't wash each other's feet before we go to dinner. We wear shoes. We don't do that. Some people have foot fetishes. It's gross. But... Um, I was thinking, what would be the equivalent? And I thought of my friend JB. I worked with JB um, at, a, Josh said, AC leadership camps. I worked there with my husband um, when I was in college and I was a camp counselor. And there was one day, all the campers were all together in this big congregating area and one of them puked. Yeah, Josh, threw up everywhere. And everywhere, Everybody scattered like flies, like ugh, vomit. But my friend JB, she ran toward it. She was quick, quickly cleaning it up. Or I think 
of a time we were at my oldest son's Little League baseball game. And at the end of the game, they make an announcement. Hello, home team has to clean the bathrooms before you leave this evening. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. They're asking for a volunteer to clean the bathrooms? That's gross. And my good friend, the next thing I know, she's got the cleaning supplies and she is cleaning away. I stood there and I cheered her on and talked to her, but I was not, <laughs> not my jam. Cleaning up puke, not my jam. Yours, Josh? Do you, do you, do you like that? Yeah. Ah, not my jam to clean up puke or to wash public restrooms. But I imagine that that's what push, foot washing would be like. These are the small things that often go unnoticed, but we do it because it's what is right. And ultimately, it's because it's what Jesus did, Josh. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, that's strike two. I mean, one reading a letter that I'd never read, and now <laughs> you're going to tell a, a puke story. And you know this is like my greatest phobia in life. So your honorarium just got cut in half, all right? But <laughs> just... Hey, now look in your Bible in John 13. Sarah and I want to point out two different things in verse 3 and in verse 4. And I want to point out something in verse 3. And you'll notice this if your Bible's open. You'll see in verse 1 it talks about how Jesus knowing. And in verse 3, you see Jesus knew that the Father... So in verse 1, like Jesus knowing what was happening in his life. And then in verse 3, Jesus knew. So this moment of unbelievable service that Jesus engages in and washing feet and a way to help set an example of what a life of service needs to look like, it comes from Jesus being fully confident in who he is in God and what he's doing in and with God. There's this confidence that leads to risk. And there's something we can learn about this. Right, that when it comes to service in the world, like confidence in who you are in God will lead you and, and help you to take risks that you may not take without that confidence. One of the reasons I love what our students is hearing a few of the mission uh, trips that you engaged in. And when I hear students come to the end of a summer and say things like, you know, what we did on mission trip in Nashville or what we did in Panama, like this may encourage me to do some things of service just in everyday life. Like there's this confidence from Jesus and that confidence in who he was in God and with God led him to this, like service just became this overflow in his life. And for us, sometimes it's service that can recenter us. Sometimes it's service that helps give us perspective. Sometimes it's in and through service that it reminds us of who we are in God. And sometimes it is through service that we see God in ways that we may not see him anywhere else. So Jesus knew. There's this confidence in it. And now Sarah, verse 4. So in this verse, it says Jesus knew he had come from God and was going back to God. So he got up from the supper and he washed his disciples' feet. The word I want to focus on here is so. It wasn't and he got up. It was so he got up. The important of the, there's an importance in the word so here because he did it because of who he was. It was God's very essence and nature to love and to serve. And he showed us that in this act. And I love how Max Lucado described it. Hands that shaped the stars now washed away filth. Fingers that formed mountains now massaged toes. And the one before whom all nations will one day Neil now kneels before his disciples, hours before his own death. Jesus' concern is singular. 
He wants his disciples to know how much he loves them. And he wants all of his disciples to know how much he loves them. He washed not just some of the disciples' feet, but he washed all of the disciples' feet, showing no favoritism and no bias. He washed Thomas's feet, the one he knew would doubt him. He washed Peter's feet, the one he knew would deny him. And he washed Judas's feet, the one he knew would betray him. He washed the feet of those who it came easy to love, and he washed the feet of those it was hard to love. And he calls us to do the same. Yeah, and Sarah, I love that you point out like washing Thomas's feet, Peter's feet, Judas's feet. Because especially this last week in my life, I've thought quite a bit in preparation for this about Jesus washing Judas's feet. Washing the feet of someone, knowing that that someone was going to betray him and reject him. Sometimes service is not about getting 100% approval or serving people just so you get feedback from them. So Jesus served people who ended up rejecting him and betraying him, yet his heart for service never changed. So when he handed on to the apostles and the disciples, it was the exact same thing. Like, we don't serve so that everybody we serve will love us and approve us and pat us on the back. Even when that doesn't happen, we keep serving because it's the right thing to do. So last Sunday, I, I preached a sermon on hospitality. And I'll be honest, of the seven sermons that I preached in this Choreology series, it was the sermon I felt least confident about going into it. And it's the one that received, other than the first one, probably the most uh, feedback that led to more conversations with people. And this is always a good reminder for me that preaching is more than whoever is on the stage. It's God speaking truth into the lives of people. And I had a few of you who came and talked to me either in person or an email or throughout the week of the challenge of just having a hospitable presence is to you, especially when it comes to those moments in life when you've been burnt and you've been hurt or there's compassion fatigue. Like, how do we keep serving anyway? Because it's the right thing to do. So when our staff meeting on Monday, and sometimes in our staff meetings, we may have almost 14 people in there of ministers and uh, administrative assistants and interns. And, and I led us in a conversation just for a few moments on how do we keep our hearts soft when we experience hard things in the world? Because I know there's a couple in this church who woke up uh, early Monday morning around 3 a.m. And they, they, they heard the noise and they saw a neighbor's car that was being stolen. And the anger they felt and the questions they were asking on how does my heart stay engaged with God and stay soft to service when, when there are awful things that happen in the world. And I think it's a question for all of us because Satan is hard at work to make our hearts hard Toward, especially towards strangers in the world. So how do we keep our hearts soft when it comes to service and compassion? Because our hearts becoming hard, it's usually, it usually doesn't happen overnight. It's this slow process of us disengaging. So how do our hearts remain soft the way Jesus' heart remains soft, that he was committed to serve even if there was rejection or betrayal because it was the right thing to do, because it's what God does. So what does this look like? How can we keep our hearts soft? How can we wash one another's feet? Or how do we love others well? Well, here's a few ideas. This may look like a mom who wakes up hours before her family to get everyone else ready for the day. It may look like a husband 
who sets up a lawn chair in 100 degree weather to sit outside your chemo window because he's not allowed inside. This may look like a dad who shows up to a ball game in scrubs in between seeing patients to cheer you on. This may look like a college professor and his spouse inviting you and your housemates over for dinner. This may look like showing up to a friend to give them a hug just because they've had a hard day. This may look like texting someone on the anniversary of a loved one's death just to let them know you're thinking of them. This may look like letting your sibling play the Nintendo Switch or PS4 first or playing what your sibling wants to play instead of what you want to play. This may look like sitting next to someone you don't know in the lunchroom, in Bible class, or even at church on Sunday mornings. Loving people well can be easy and fun and exciting. Just like we heard from our, uh, y'alls, they're not ours, I, I wish y'all were mine, but um, uh, our, the students this morning, it can be fun and exciting, but it also can be challenging. Remember, Jesus loved those who doubted him, who denied him, and who betrayed them, him. I'll be honest, I don't have this all figured out. I really, really don't. And as a disclaimer, there are some situations, toxic and abusive relationships, that the most loving thing you can do is to walk away and take care of yourself. Every situation and person is different. Ultimately, we have control over the way we respond and we react. We do not have the power to make someone love us or make them respond in a certain way. We do have the power, though, to choose love, forgiveness, and kindness in these circumstances. So don't be afraid to take the first step. Ask the Lord to walk alongside of you and lead the way. Make the call. Be the bigger person and ask for forgiveness. Choose to love even when it's hard and learn from those who have done it well. So when I think, I think of three different people or three people came to mind um, that did this, that loved others well when it wasn't the easiest thing to do. I think of a grandmother who after being divorced from her husband chose to be by his side when he was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. She took care of him until he needed more care than she could provide. She then visited him every day as his memory faded. She honored and loved him well until the day he left this world and went to be with Jesus. I think of a man named Coach Thomas and his family from Iowa. Coach Thomas was a football coach and he was loved by his small community. His team had won lots of games and um, had also done a lot of community service for their community and he was well loved. Well, one day Coach Thomas went to the workout room and he was there by himself and a former player came in and we don't know the reason behind it but he came in and shot and killed Coach Thomas. The coach's son and his wife reached out to this boy's family and loved this boy's family in the midst of their grief and their despair. And ultimately, they forgave this boy 
for the life that he took, their beloved dad and husband. Or I think of a former student who um, went with me on mission trips when I would do, did student ministry. And we went and worked with a homeless community in Chicago. And at one of the days together, we were processing all that we had done. And she, she said, hey, I realized today that homeless people are people too. They have their own stories and they're just like us. You see that day, she had met a homeless man. She had took the time to sit, to listen to his story, and she took it one step further. She washed his feet, and this is how she did it. The man liked to put his hands and keep his hands in his mouth. And she insisted that they shake hands before she left. This girl, several years later on a different mission trip we were working on, noticed that one of the elderly workers we were working with was suffering from heat exhaustion. She went and she grabbed ice, she made the man pick up his arms and she stuck the ice straight into the man's armpits. Mind you, it was hot weather. We had been working all day. And she washed that man's feet and reacted in love because she knowed. Knowed? Yep, she knowed. <laughs> that that is what he needed in that moment. So she acted in great love. Jesus' hardest and loneliest days were upon him, and he chose to love instead of be loved. He chose to love when the crowds were cheering Hosanna and the disciples were enjoying the Last Supper. He chose to love when Jesus betrayed him. He chose to love when Thomas doubted him. He chose to love when Peter denied him. He chose love when that same crowd who had been cheering him on was now yelling for him to be crucified. He chose to love when the weight of the world was literally on his shoulders. He chose to love when he was whipped, spat on, cursed, and hung on a cross. He chose to love in his darkest hour. Jesus loved others well until his final breath. So my question for you and challenge for you is, how will you live each day? loving others well as if it were your last. Thank you. Can you join me in thanking Sarah for being with us today? <clears throat> and I believe the next few minutes could be powerful and transforming for us. And on the screen, it's going to be there for just a few minutes. There's a question. It's a question Jesus asks in John chapter 13. It says, do you understand what I have done for you? And then the question Sarah just laid in front of us for reflection is, how will you live each day loving others well like it is your last? So I want you to think about those. Let this time with God and this time of communion lead you and help you reflect either on the question or the statement that Jesus makes. For teachers and educators in the room who are going back uh, to school tomorrow, to work, I, I know it comes with a lot of emotions, but may the question help you reflect on what it means for you to be the presence of Christ in the schools where you work. For those who maybe have never accepted Jesus as your Lord, may it be a question that leads you to take a step of faith. Maybe this morning. And this morning, we'll have two shepherds in this room. And I don't remember who you are, so shepherds, if you will begin moving uh, and go into the places where you receive people. I believe Jenna King's going to be over here to my right, and I'll be down here to the left to receive you. If there's any prayer, we can pray for confidence, for a heart to be soft, 
to have a life of service. We are here for you. There's six tables in this room with the bread and the cup. And I know this section up here to my right has a lot more people. So if we run out, just know there are other tables in here that have the bread and the cup. But this is a moment where we move together as a church. And we move to a table. And we move from a table. Because it's the bread and the cup that launches us into this week to be God's people in the world. So in this moment, we maybe reflect on all Jesus has done for us. Sarah, do you mind praying over the bread and the cup? Yes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice that you made. Thank you for this bread and for this cup, for the visible reminder of who you are and what you've done for us. Thank you for the way that you loved and served others. Open our hearts and minds to the way that you call us to do the same. In Jesus' name, amen.